This is the Real Estate Investing Abundance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. I just want to take a moment to introduce you to our company, Steed Talker Capital. Steed Talker Capital is a real estate investment firm. If you'd like to learn more about real estate investing, head over to our website, steedtucker.com. And while you're there, take a moment to get your one-page guide to the 10 Steps to Passive Real Estate Investing. Downloading this PDF will also enroll you in our Enlightened Investor Circle. And by enrolling in the Enlightened Investor Circle, you'll be the first to know about any new investment opportunities that we are getting involved with. Look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy today's show. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to Real Estate Investing Abundance. I'm your host, Dr. Allen, and I'm delighted to be back with you again today. And we're going to take a look here at passive investing for passive monthly income in 2003. And with us is an expert who knows about passive investing, Lauren Wells leads her company in the strategic evaluation of market research and implementation and heads business strategies. Lauren has been investing in real estate since 2010. During this time, she has helped grow and manage a portfolio of over 100 assets that include both residential real estate and mortgage notes. So Lauren, welcome to the show and take us into the show by sharing an experience that helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, I think there's a few one and they kind of tie all tie together. But I remember when I was young in my elementary school years, having and high school years, <laughs> but mostly elementary, my parents were always around like too much. I would say <laughs> high school, I was like, can you give me some space? No, they were always around. They were very involved in volunteering for my sporting events, you know, school activities, everything, my mom and my dad. And I felt like, I think that's very rare today in today's world, because I mean, the cost of living, typically you have dual income houses and kids are sent to daycare and that's how it is. And I look back now and realize how lucky I was to have not one, but my dad worked from home. My mom stayed home, which was much more common back then, a single person staying home and another person bringing in the income. So he worked as a real estate agent from home, which I think gave him that flexibility to really be extra involved. And I think as I graduated you know, from university and started my career and then started you know, one of my passions is volunteering, volunteer coaching. And I volunteer coach for some water polo girls in high school. And I was also at the time working at a tech company. And I realized I looked around at the practices, the games, the tournaments that were on the weekends. And I realized that the parents who were there either ran their own business or were invested in some sort of real estate and had that income that supported them being there. They didn't have basically ordinary jobs, you know, nine to fives. And so at that point, that kind of combined with my experience and realizing like, I loved that growing up and there is a value to it. And what I saw then that led me into real estate. So I feel like that made me who I am, how I run my family now and, you know, where I want to be. And yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, fascinating story. Lauren, 
tell us what is the difference between passive and active investing? Yeah. So passive investing, or let's start with active, because that's what I think people think is passive. And I think that's the problem. So most people think I want to own real estate. I want to be a passive investor. I'm going to go buy a rental property or do an Airbnb or, you know, a fix and flip. And they're like, that's passive. When you get into it, and this is how I started as well, it's not. You're a landlord or a, you know, managing an Airbnb is a short-term rental. So you're some basically hospitality and a fix and flip. Well, that is by no means passive. You are very involved. So I think people think of that as passive, realize it's active. And so you then you wonder, okay, well, what is truly passive? And that's where you get into investing in funds, syndications, stocks that pay you dividends. So I think a passive is something that is paying, putting money in your bank account with no management or work that you have to put in. No hours are put into that. You are collecting, you make an investment and you are collecting money in your bank account monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever the terms are. Well, thank you for uh, clarifying that because yes, there are a lot of people who think I'm going to be a real estate investor and... (laughs) I'm going to put that on autopilot and uh, they get into it and they realize there's no autopilot (laughs) to active investing in real estate. Correct. Well, there are advantages certainly to be an an active investor and certainly a lot of those have to do with tax advantages. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you uh, advocate that passive investing can be a powerful tool. Uh, Why is passive income so important, particularly in 2003? So in today, in 2023, it's really important. I mean, if you look at what is happening right now in the world, inflation is out of control. Interest rates are high. Jobs are being cut the days of going into an employer and knowing you can get an amazing salary is no longer the case. Budgets are, you know, companies are looking at their bottom line, they're budgeting harder. And But you still need to live a life. You still need to provide. You still need to buy groceries. You still need to do all these things that, and, you know, obviously people are starting to budget as well, but how can you invest and get some passive income going that offsets inflation, that offsets groceries. Can you find an investment that covers our grocery bill every week is like about $175. And no matter what I spend, it's always around there. I don't know why I feel like it's, I should, you know, play the lottery with that. But so how can I bring in $175 to offset that? Because my cost of daycare has gone up. My cost of summer camps for my kids, my cost of their activities has gone up. So that's why I feel like it's really important in especially today to, you know, have some outlets that allow you to have that passive income. Absolutely. I mean, excellent, excellent points. I mean, there are just so many factors outside of our control, whether we are working a W-2 job or whether we are entrepreneurs ourselves, those extraneous forces can do us in. And I and the and those forces over the last year, year and a half have just been staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have a way to mitigate that, you're hurting. And and a lot of people are hurting a great deal these days. And I mean those families who who thought they had a fairly decent income and were doing okay a year ago are now looking at, my gosh, our savings are dwindling. Every time we go to the grocery store, we're paying three to four times what we were a year ago. 
when we go to the gas station, yeah. it, we're seeing the same thing. You know, how do we keep our families together with those kinds of external forces upon us? You're here to tell us how we can mitigate that. <laughs> so how do we get started in passive investing that brings us a monthly income? I think there's a variety of ways. I mean, and it has to all do with one, knowing your risk tolerance, knowing what stage you're at in life. How I would invest as a 20-year-old right out of college is very different from how I'm going to invest with two little boys and a mortgage. How it would be very different from how my dad would invest who is retired. So you knowing where you're at, your risk tolerance, if things really go south, like can you still survive? And I think there's a couple of different options, you know, for those who are very risk averse, but still want some passive income. But, and you say you have a good chunk of savings and you're retiring or about to retire. I don't know. Maybe you have a good chunk of savings and you're my age. You, I think high yield savings accounts are underrated. And I, this isn't even in the real estate realm. This is just personal advice I would give. You know, the interest rates on high yield savings accounts right now is I think Wealthfront, for example, is at 4%. That's unheard of. 4.3, I think it might even be. So you put, I don't know, you you can get some passive income off of that. A year, just something, anything to supplement, whether that's supplementing a coffee you can't buy anymore because of the rates, you know, or a portion of your cell phone bill or that extra $20 in groceries. So I think that's something that I would, and it's, it's liquid. You can access it. There's no fear of liquidity there. You know it's FDIC insured up to 250000 And so I think that's a very safe option. I think if you're looking to be a little bit riskier, and again, I say riskier, but really I think it depends on the actual mm-hmm. assets. You can look at funds and syndications. And that is essentially where you're investing in a sponsor and an asset class to you're lending them money. They are then taking that capital deploying it into an asset, and you're able to then get a return, whether you're looking at a dividend, which is paid again monthly, which if you're looking for passive income, you don't want to be tied into a four-year, at the end of four years, you're getting that kicker. You want to look at something that pays a monthly or quarterly dividends, and then you look at what that rate is, and that's how you look at your risk. So there's REITs that are publicly traded you can invest in, and then you have your private placements, which again, are your funds. So investing in a fund that pays you a monthly dividend would allow you based on the money you're lending to them to invest in whatever assets they invest in would allow you to have that monthly income. And I'd say there, what you need to do is really look at who the sponsor is, what's their background, and do you trust them? Which is a lot of gut because we're, you know, you and I are looking at each other on Zoom. A lot of people aren't meeting face-to-face anymore for deals like this. So talking to other people, researching them online, Googling their name and seeing, are they real? So, yeah. Well, of course, I mean, one way uh, people look at risk is the higher the yield, the the more riskier it is. And well, and while as a general rule, that is true, but you have to look further than that because a particular sponsor or two particular sponsors could be offering the same rate of return of 14%. And one could be a shyster and the other could be a well-established syndicator. So you need to know who it is that you are investing uh, with. Explain to us, Lauren, you've talked about funds and syndications. What's the difference between a fund and a syndication? 
I think it depends on who you're talking to. (laughs) (laughs) So syndication, think of it as kind of like friends and family syndicating. You're pulling money together from people and they are all LPs and you are the GP. In a fund, it works a little bit the same. But for example, and what's funny is we have a fund, but some people say it's not a fund. We're a company and you're buying stock. So again, I really think it it depends who you're speaking to. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. So a lot of syndications and maybe perhaps a number of funds as well have a benchmark, which they call you have to be an accredited investor to invest with them. There's a lot of people who would like to invest who are not yet accredited investors. How do they find uh, these opportunities? That, That is the biggest barrier to entry for people who are not accredited is you have to be accredited. And we also want you to put in a minimum of 25, 100, 500 K. And that is what happens with a lot of these funds. So with syndications, you can kind of bypass that a little bit. But with what's unique is there is an offering and there are a ton of these online called the Regulation A+. And so it is a sort of fund that allows anyone to invest. You can be accredited or non-accredited. It doesn't matter. Your accreditation status is not a barrier to entry. And for that reason, typically these funds also have a lower barrier to entry. So for example, and I'll speak to our fund, but again, I can name some other as well. Our fund is a regulation A and our minimum investment is $2,500. And we're saying at $2,500, we'll offer you 8% annually. Again, you have to look at who is Lauren Wells and who is my... Uh, business partner, Chris Seveny. What is the asset class that they're investing in? So what am I investing in? What are they buying with my money? And what is the current economic climate's impact on this asset class? How safe is my money? And then how comfortable am I with all of the answers that I find? So I think if you're to search, you know, crowdfund real estate crowdfunding online if you're to search regulation a offerings they don't even have to be real estate specific there are so many different again and i'm not i would take caution with those that are you know if you're going to a crowdfunding for a startup that is a very different than crowdfunding in hard assets like real estate so there's that's a whole different risk threshold that you personally have to take account of and see if that s- sits well with you but real estate specifically tends to be less risky in terms of it's a asset that is physical real estate you're investing in. So again, you can Google Regulation A real estate offerings. You can Google real estate crowdfunding. And if you're not accredited, I'm sure there are a variety of options out there for you to go ahead and look and see what kind of sparks your interest. Things I would look at as an investor, not a sponsor, would be what fees do you charge me? You know, if I give you $2,500, are you taking a management fee, an acquisition fee, a disposition fee? What is the term of the fund? Am I, is my money liquid or is it locked up for 10 years, three years, five years? So again, questions just to ask yourself as you go and evaluate different options open to both accredited and non-accredited investors. So in terms, in terms of a fund, what would be a typical fee structure? So in terms of... Most funds have account fee 
and a management fee. And those really vary, run the gamut depending on the asset class. And the reason I'm not going to give numbers is because we don't have any fees for our fund. So I don't know what the average per se would be for these other funds. But typically, if you're looking at a multifamily investment or a commercial investment fund, you're going to be paying a management fee of sort that is collected annually. You're going to probably pay a acquisition and disposition fee. So when they acquire the property, when they dispose of the property, and I don't know, there might be a property management fee, you know, again, out of Mm -hmm. my depth, we don't have fees. So I would just, again, I always just like to ask what fees are. And if you're looking at something that has fees, maybe look at two or three other ones and see how they align and ask why theirs is so high in comparison to this other fund. Okay. Well, Lauren, tell us about your company, the name of your company. And it is a fund that you have there. Uh, Tell us about your fund specifically and how we can get in touch with you to take advantage of that. I want to go back really quick. You, the funds versus syndication, just so people have clarity on that. Funds are typically the biggest difference there is funds are typically opened or ongoing, or they might have a closed date. Whereas the syndication is we are syndicating, we are raising capital around this asset. Once we raise the capital, there is no more, you don't need any more capital. The fund, the syndication is it's syndicated for that specific asset versus the fund can be, hey, we're raising for storage units across the US and we're going to raise up to a hundred million and we have are going to do that. It's going to be ongoing. So that's the biggest difference. And then about me, I am the VP of investor relations and strategy along with my business partner, Chris, 70 at 70 Investments. We launched recently, as of last mid last year, launched a Regulation A plus offering. This is not our first offering, our first fund. We've had five Regulation D offerings in the past. And what we realized was there's a lot of non-accredited investors who come to us asking to invest, and we don't have a way to work with them unless we want to do like a joint venture, which we don't have the bandwidth to do right now. So we went down the Regulation A offering path. We were qualified by the SEC in July and we invest in mortgage notes. So essentially we buy mortgage notes from banks and other bigger funds that are maybe non-performing or or performing, meaning the borrowers might have fallen behind. And we work with the borrower to figure out a solution to keep them in their home because we're buying these at a discount. We're buying these notes at 50 cents on the dollar. So it gives us that flexibility to one, ensure that we have equity in the property because we're not in it for 100% and also make sure that we have a way to work with the borrower. We're not a bank. We're not, banks are great at creating debt. They're not great at managing it as we've seen recently. So we go in and we purchase these at a discount. We work with the borrower, we get them re-performing and then we sell those loans back on the secondary market for 80 cents on the dollar. So really we're in the business of, if you want to kind of summarize it in terms most people would know, because mortgage notes are very niche, we basically flip mortgages. We go in, rehab them, and flip them for a profit. And we're offering our investors a chance to get in on this. So they're investing in the entire pool of portfolio, which mitigates risk because they're not tied to an individual asset. And the minimum is $2,500. We give our investors 8% annually paid in monthly dividends. And that is a tax advantage. You know, you're not paying a K1 and ordinary income. You're going to be paying a 
you know, it's a qualified dividend. So it'll be a long-term capital gain, which is significantly lower than most people's ordinary income. So it's a little bit about me and what I do. Um, if people listening are interested in learning more about our company, about our fund, about, you know, even if someone wants to learn more about passive investing, I'm always happy to talk and I can be reached at lauren at 70 investments.com. And that's a seven, the number seven einvestments.com. Like in the background of her. Yes, like in the background of my photo. <laughs> uh, so, so Lauren, what's the liquidity in your investment fund? Yeah, great question. And I can't believe I didn't ask, like, have that <laughs> when I said it was one of the questions I would ask. So, it is a four-year lockup. You do have the option to exit prior to that. There are just different fees you would have to pay to do so. So, if you came to us at sixteen months and said, "Hey, I need this money because of X, Y, Z." there would be a penalty, a percentage of your investment that you would have to pay. You'd keep all the prior dividends that you've earned, but you would pay a penalty. So the break even period, meaning the period at which your dividends would have covered the penalty is, is 18 months. 18 so at 18 months, months, you can leave, you still pay a penalty, but your dividends would have covered that. Okay. And prior to that, it's going to come out of your capital, essentially. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Very interesting. So we just had a major bank failure, Silicon Valley. Uh, So talk to us about that. How is that affecting your business? How do you see things going forward? I don't want to be happy about this because I come from tech and started my career, my first career at startups. And I have a lot of colleagues who are suffering and scared. And it's, you know, kind of gut-wrenching to see on their end. But for our asset class specifically, if you think about what's happening is this bank took out bonds at a low interest rate and now can't keep up with inflation and the interest rate now. So they had to sell them at a loss. Well, what else did they take on? They took on mortgages at 3%. They are going to have to sell those at a loss. I'm not talking SVB specifically, but as we're seeing, this is playing out in a much larger scale and I think we'll continue to do so. And banks that originated paper at 3%, that's not keeping up with where we're at today. So what they'll have to do, and this is a question I get asked a lot, is, well, why would they sell? Well, this is why. They can, when they're looking at this, they're saying, okay, I can go the route of foreclosure, which will probably take me two to three years as a bank and will cost me a lot of attorney fees. Or I can say, today, I'm going to cut my losses and sell this loan for 50 cents on the dollar or for the non-performing, the ones that are very delinquent at 50 to 60 cents on the dollar and originate new paper. So for us, what's happening is actually we're getting ready to see more inventory, which will allow us to acquire at a lower price range. And therefore Mm -hmm. we're actually in a good asset class, good space to be in and feel very confident in our returns and our investments that we're taking in from investors. Yeah. Well, like with, with any crisis, there is always, there is always opportunity. Yes. Thank you for the word. Yeah. So you, you purchase non-performing. So give us just a brief picture here of how you turn a non-performing asset into performing. So I think the misconception is that people just don't pay because they don't want to one day they wake up and they're like, I'm not going to pay. Um, (laughs) And or they're trying to cheat the system. And what you we've found, we've been doing this, we've done over 500 mortgage deals, is that that's not the case. Necessarily, um, 
typically it's divorce, death, disability, job loss, COVID, something that some catalyst to them not paying. And then what happens is they get so far behind. Maybe they had a year of chemo treatments. Um, This is actually something that did happen. We had a borrower who had chemo for a year. So he was paying for chemo, not his mortgage, because that was going to keep him alive. And he went to, you know, go start once he got back on track. He looked and he was like, I'm so far behind. I have all these arrears. I have all these late fees. I'm never going to catch up. And so it becomes this snowball effect. Well, a bank, you go to pay after being a year late and they're like, great, we're going to apply this to late fees. And then your principal and interest, or then your interest. And so you're so far behind, you're not making any debt. So when we come in, we are able to work with them. We're able to say, what happened? Can you make your current payment? Majority of the time they can make that payment, which then we say, great, let's do a forbearance plan. I want you to make six monthly payments, six to eight of your current mortgage payment. And at the end of that, we'll work with you on the arrears. We'll add them to the end of your term. We will have a payment plan we'll put in place so that you can pay that $30,000 in over in arrears that you have over, you know, two years, over a year, over quarterly payments, whatever it might work out for them. And because we, and we have the ability to do that because we're buying it at such a discount. So we're, it's a win-win. We're helping our borrowers stay in their home. We're helping investors get their capital. Then once we've seasoned the note, meaning they've made consistent payments for about 12 to 18 months, we are able to sell it on the secondary market for 80 cents on the dollar as a performing note. Yeah. Well, Lauren, it's been a very informative conversation and it has certainly been a pleasure having you with us today. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Enlightened investors, don't go yet. I have just a couple of quick requests. You know the drill. Like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience, so please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.